Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the show that remains unnamed. Um, due to various bureaucratic issues, uh, we, we've not been able to come upon a particular name that, that works for us yet. There's a lot of paperwork that we need to fill in. So I suggest for now, uh, keep throwing in suggestions, keep throwing in comments. We'll continue to process those um, from deep within our bunker, about 400 feet below the Earth's surface. But for now, whilst the elves are busy dealing with that, let's talk about some watches. Something has taken your eye this week. Tom, tell us about it. Mmm, new Defy Sapphire from Zenith. You're quite a classical guy, Tom. Is it? The Zenith Defy is not a classical watch. Oh, but these are a real pair of Bobby Dazzlers. <laughs> no, these are really, really, really striking pair of watches. So um, they're based on already existing models of Zeniths, the Defy range. And you've got two here. You've got the Defy Zero G, which has the that kind of gyroscopic capsule movement, um, and and then the uh, you have a double tourbillon edition, which um, do exist previously. Am I right? Um, yeah, they do. Yeah. But now um, Zenith has has put put them into sapphire cases, so you can see everything that's going on, and they've also augmented them to give them this nice sort of celestial kind of spacey look. And the result is like a really striking aesthetic. The bridges are all kind of um, blue toned with, with white engraved stars of different sizes. The G Zero G in particular has a Mar the planet Mars as the small second dial. It has a, a meteorite and aventurine um, sort of handcrafted um, dial at 12 for the hours and minutes. And then, yeah, you've got this gyroscopic movement at the at six o'clock which is also sort of augmented with this moon texture and it's all very spacey and yeah um it's, it's a nice that aventurine it's a nice material it's very glittery i'd, I'd have my kitchen worktop made out of aventurine <laughs> uh, i'm assuming it only comes in dial sizes because i think watches are the only time i've ever seen it used but omega uses it uh as well um funnily enough also to represent space as omega has a lot of interest with space uh, but the Defy collection, is this the is this the first you've been aware of the Zenith Defy collection? Well, the Defy, I think I've heard the one, we've done a video on it before with the um, the chronograph that whizzes round at a million miles per hour like Benny Hill. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of context about the Defy range actually because uh, 
let's just say it's been an exercise of polishing the proverbial for quite some time. <laughs> oh, that seems harsh. <laughs> well, maybe I'll give you some context and you, you can understand why I'm saying that. Go on. Um, so a, a lot of people, they, they understand the Defy to be a collection that came from the mid-noughties and um, that's really the uh, the origin of the name in any particular popular sense. But it actually, the name Defy has been used by Zenith as as early as the 60s and 70s when, um, and this makes perfect sense, think about all the quartz watches coming in and how Switzerland was trying to fend that off with mechanical. Ah, they were defying, exactly, defying the trend. Um, <laughs> when you when you take that in isolation and think, okay, it's the old school trying to fend off new technology and badging that as defiance as opposed to just clinging on to uh, an antiquated technology. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite so cool. But it's almost, you know, this gyro tourbillon and the double tourbillon, they're so um, audacious, it's almost gone beyond defiance and it's actually, um, it's almost antagonistic. <laughs> well, it's, it, it feels a little bit like... Um, cars started to be seen on the streets and there were people riding around on horses being uh, priggish about it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or getting or dusting off the penny farthing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two wheels of the same size. <laughs> yeah. Not not on my watch. <laughs> so um that was that was the defy of that period, of course, um quartz watches and the whole quartz crisis. Uh, caused a lot of problems for a lot of manufacturers, and Zenith wasn't immune to that. In fact, the El Primero and Zenith and everything like that were all done and dusted, and it was only due to the uh, the foresight of uh, Charles Vermeau, who saved back the, the plans for the El Primero movement, rather than throwing them in the bin, that Zenith, as a revitalised brand, could even continue with that movement. Oh. Um and the late 90s, early noughties was a period where luxury watchmaking was starting to come back in as brands like Audemars Piguet released the Royal Oak Offshore and Richard Mille came about and Ulverk was founded. This idea of avant-garde watchmaking beyond the classical. Crazy guys. Crazy, yeah, crazy stuff. And that's where the Defy came back. Right. Zenith, Zenith had this guy on board called uh, Thierry Nataf, who was a um, who was their CEO for a period. And um, there's no better way to summarize the man than by saying the most famous picture there is of him is him holding an eagle. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, with so, like a glove or like cradling it like a baby. <laughs> With 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 the glove and it's got the little hat on, you know. Oh sure. And he's he's in a suit. Fine. <laughs> so um, you, you get the kind of vibes, right? Yeah. And so the the defy that was his creation was the proverbial that needed polishing. It was. Um, this isn't this isn't necessarily my opinion. This is the opinion of the masses. It was an utter monstrosity. Right. Um, four parts submarine, seven parts international space station, with a tiny dash of watch in there. <laughs> what was interesting about it, though, was it was a platform for high-end watchmaking. They had some pretty complex movements in there, and I think that 
is what is what's been revived for the new generation of defy yeah yeah so, so that chronograph you were talking about that whizzes around really really quickly mm. that was uh, a movement um actually developed by tag hoyer as a concept um but appropriated by zenith for this um early defy watch through industrial espionage or uh, <laughs> did they acquire it legally <laughs> yeah the, the zenith guys like on, on a hilltop with binoculars looking through the windows of the Tag Heuer factory. Write that down. Hello, my name is Mr. Tinez. <laughs> That'll do. Uh, they're, they're both owned by the same uh, group. Oh, yeah. So. Fair enough. Shared technology. With you. So uh, Zenith, in trying to uh, reinvent themselves, actually brought back the Defy line. But thankfully not with the same vein as Thierry Nataf's era, but with the same ethos of demonstrating the best that mechanical watchmaking has to offer, which really threads its way back to that 1960s, 70s watch as well. Yeah, there's more watch present in uh, in these ones. Yeah, definitely. You can, you can really see from them that it's less about the, the picture frame and more about the contents of the picture itself, if you like. Because mm-hmm. you could purchase... In the standard materials, the entry-level Defy with a skeletonized dial, and at a glance, it would look just as complicated and busy as these, mm. completely ignoring the complexity these have. Not to mention the double tourbillon chronograph of these watches exists in its functionality in a non-tourbillon version. That that one we were talking about that they they pinched from Tag Heuer, right? Yeah, where you have. You basically have two movements connect, connected with a clutch. Wind one and it powers the the hands, the, the normal time telling at 36,000 beats per hour, as is the El Primero's uh, fame standard. And then you have a second balance and a second mainspring and a second power reserve to power the chronograph, which runs at 360,000 beats per hour. So it's uh, a hundredth of a second measurement yeah. with a separate balance. The, the double tourbillon version does the same thing, but with tourbillons instead, which is like a, a another step up. But to all intents and purposes, it kind of looks the same. Yeah, on, on those ones, you've got two balance wheels that allow you to get that um, 100th of a second chronograph. What are you gaining from two tourbillons here? Are you um, Is it just a, a greater increase in accuracy or what's the deal there? Well, it's, it's slightly different between these two watches because the tourbillon was invented as this thing that makes a pocket watch more accurate. If you imagine the balance wheel beating backwards and forwards, Mm. um, any position other than flat is going to be affected by gravity in one particular direction of its axis. But for a wristwatch, for the most part, when you sit at your desk, the balance wheel is flat, so the tourbillon doesn't really offer a whole lot of extra stuff. So having two here in this flat orientation Mm. it's really a demonstration of technical performance right there's no what so any kind of improvement that you would see would be meager and not really worth it yeah yeah exactly unless unless you so happen to keep your watch at an angle more often than not but people move around people have their arms in all sorts of different positions and it sort of naturally evens itself out anyway yeah there is one thing about it that I think is probably worth noting that is very technically impressive with the double tourbillon is that in order to provide the chronograph with its one hundredth of a second accuracy, it, instead of making one rotation per minute, makes one rotation every five seconds. So if you're getting in there and looking at it 
really close up, you will see this thing spinning around like bilio. But I think just ultimately the problem is, is it just blends in with everything else at anything more than an arm's length. The gyro tourbillon, on the other hand, certainly takes that process a step further on the basis that if a watch is lying flat, the gyro tourbillon moves around in all directions so it compensates for any position you could put it in. But even so, your arm and your movement generally act like a gyro tourbillon for a normal balance anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So really, once again, it's a it's a demonstration of technical prowess. And I think that's how these should be celebrated. And I think that's how these versions do it best, because you really get a sense of what's going on, as opposed to it just being a blur of parts. Yeah. Um, but what's really funny to me, and maybe a little bit of a shame, is that they've gone to all of this effort to reinvent the Defy line. And it sort of seems to have slipped everyone by. Mm. So these two watches, like you say, I think one came out in 2018 and one came out in 2019 with the Defy collection a few years before that. There is a Fusion Chain Tourbillon version of those watches that came out that is completely under the radar. And so I'm guessing all that investment in developing these watches has been revisited with new special boutique versions in more shinier eye-catching materials to try and get people to pay attention to them. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're certainly eye-catching. Um, the uh, the sapphire allows you to see through um, into both these pieces. From what I think Zenith are trying to achieve with this watch, the addition of the colour and the case materials and the adventuring and, and things like that serve to tell the story better because they're, they're busy. They're definitely busy watches, but when they're all in the greys that you expect of a, of a typical watch and how they were previously released it it almost loses some of the depth that's going on there yeah i think that that's right isn't it with um um so, some of the previous defies you know that you've got those carbon black ones and stuff all those details kind of get lost it's the same with yeah. um we've been looking at a couple of reshub mills lately and and they're just so hard to read there's just so much going on it just it it almost sort of cancels itself out um you, your eye can't rest anywhere but i think these definitely solved that problem yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah because what, what are the prices of these two right yeah so let's um talk about so they're, they're they're 10 pieces each yeah the zero g is one hundred fifty nine thousand seven hundred dollars, and the double tourbillon is a bit more one hundred eighty thousand three hundred dollars. oh that's steep that's steep tom um i'm not buying it just yet i feel like there's a sweetener that could push me over the edge <laughs> Right, yeah, well, okay, what about this then? Included with this watch, a trip to outer space, sort of. Is there really? No, oh. but um, <laughs> included in the price tag is a gravity-defying parabolic flight experience. Oh, the vomit comet. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I've not heard. I've not heard that. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. Where they take you up in a seven four seven, and they fly up, and then they fly down, and they fly up, and they fly down. Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, so. I looked into it, and it's. I think it's like this special Airbus. It's the A three hundred zero G. And if you're one of the lucky um, recipients of this watch, you can go to the Nova Space facility, um, which is part of the French National Space Centre in Bordeaux, in France. And uh, yeah, you can go up in this Airbus A300 and uh, yeah, try not to vomit. Aside from the fact that I'm a little bit concerned that their space program is set in the same place that they make a lot of wine. 
Um, that's a that's a pretty cool thing. I w- I think I would have preferred to go to space, but that's a, that's a million quid, isn't it, to go to space? How do, how do these things actually work? My impression of it is that it it takes you up to a great height and then it just sort of nose dives down and that gives you the the feeling of weightlessness that you would get in zero gravity. Is that the gist? Yeah. So um, a, a lot of people don't really understand the difference between zero gravity and microgravity. Microgravity is what's experienced in the um, the low Earth orbit that the International Space Station and stuff like that are on. You know that feeling when you go over a humpback bridge? <laughs> yeah. Where your car goes down at the same speed that you go down. So effectively, for a moment, your stomach, your insides feel weightless. Right. So on the International Space Station... If the International Space Station stopped its orbit, yeah. everyone on board would be pulled down towards Earth. They would have gravity. Right. And so would the International Space Station. The International Space Station would fall to Earth, burn up, and everyone would die. Oh. So the way they do, uh, the way they avoid that is by going forwards. But they don't go so fast forwards that they leave Earth's gravity. They fall over the edge of the Earth. They're constantly falling around the edge of the Earth. They're going forwards just enough so that as they fall towards Earth, they keep missing. Right. So the, the space station isn't far enough away from Earth to experience zero gravity. Is that, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. oh, I didn't know that. If it were to park up, it would pull towards... And in fact, it still gets affected by gravity. It still gets pulled towards Earth and they have to do a little... Um, uh, like a height adjustment burn to push themselves back up every now and then. Oh, right. But it, it is like... Uh, running at the horizon and falling over the edge past it, and you're constantly falling past Earth. Oh, just like my anxiety dreams. <laughs> so the feeling is exactly that of a humpback bridge permanently. Right. So the vomit comet is the same deal, but for a shorter period of time. Right. They 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 fly upwards, nice and high, and then they fly back towards Earth. And they fly towards Earth at the same rate that gravity would pull you down. So it is, you are free falling as if you had jumped out of the aeroplane, but the aeroplane has come down with you. Yeah, sure. So that's the way to think about it. It's relative. Uh, And it's the same for the International Space Station. You're free falling, but the space station is coming with you. And so relatively speaking, it feels like you are weightless compared to the aircraft or the station. Yeah. So now with all that said, I wonder... If you are so enamoured by the watch, you want to buy it, but you're not so thrilled about the thought of going up in the vomit comet. Oh, how does that sorry, work? Sorry, sir, your credit card's being declined. <laughs> no watch for you. You have to collect it from the plane. Yeah, right. It's right at the back. It's mandatory. <laughs> you're not. You're not going to take off when I go in there and get it, are you? No, 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 no. Shut the door. It's um, definitely worth asking, though, isn't it? <laughs> Do I have to go on it? I really just want the watch. If you think about the average person who can perhaps afford a product like this, I would say, you know, they they may for the most part be past their prime. And perhaps the idea of um, suspending all of their organs in freefall <laughs> might not be great for their circulatory system. Sure. And I feel like Zenith could end up with a few lawsuits on their hands um, from the estates of the previous owners of their watches i like it i mean maybe it's something maybe it's zenith trying to tell the the watch buying public if you want to dive watch you gotta dive 
You know, this isn't just <laughs> go and get it. It's not just for filthy casuals. If you want, it, if you want a space watch, you better get up there, son. Is it like um, when when you did in school when you did your like swimming uh, lessons and they put that rubber brick at the bottom of the swimming pool, right. but like it's the watch and you have to swim down and go and get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, good for good for three hundred meters. Yeah, well, let's see, let's see if you're good for three hundred meters. So, so a, a pilot's watch as well. Um, the the way you buy it, you order it online, and you're sat and unbeknownst to you, you're on your way to a holiday destination. Lovely, beautiful. You're on your way for a nice, what you think is going to be two weeks of sun, sea, and sand, but all of a sudden there's a call over the radio. The, the pilots fainted. We need someone to come and fly the plane and land the plane. And it's only upon successfully landing the plane that you are awarded your pilot's watch. Yeah, if you want to wear a pilot's watch, you better be able to fly the plane if the pilot passes out. <laughs> it's like an accreditation. You don't you don't get the watch unless you have the skill. What other ones could they do? Um, buy a G-Shock and do a bungee jump? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that the vibe? <laughs> yeah. Um, driver's watch. Yeah, you, you've yeah. got to be able to uh, drive from one side of London to the other without breaking the speed limit in less than two hours. What about um, buying an Omega Seamaster, a 007 edition, and you get taken to a casino where you have to have a fight? With Daniel Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting on a bit now. I think I stand a chance. Yeah. Oh, what about um, buying Invicta and you have to go on an over-50s booze cruise? <laughs> I don't think you're going to make many friends with that. <laughs> um, um, but but as well, I think it's going to be tied to the price. If you want a, a Tudor dive watch, then it's down to the bottom of your local swimming pool with you. If you get uh, that mega omega planet ocean ridiculous dive watch that can go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, then you have to survive a dinner date with James Cameron where he... he tells you the plot of all of the future avatar films and if you can if you can stand that you get the watch <laughs> this, is, this is already starting to sound like punishments for buying these watches <laughs> maybe we should just stick to just uh, the typical cash exchange maybe that's better yeah, yeah. it's a, certainly a better business model well good on good on zenith for trying it anyway yeah it's a nice idea um but I, i'll tell you i'll tell you who's going to be really upset about all of this who's really drawn the short straw on this. A man called Felix Baumgartner. You heard of him? Uh, the guy who plays Kevin in The Office. <laughs> no relation. Right. This guy that, that jumped from space, jumped from a hot air balloon from space. Yes. Yeah. Uh, essentially rode a weather balloon all the way up uh, into space. Thought, I don't like space anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, and yeah, bailed yeah. bailed out. Yeah. Jumped, fell, fell to earth. He, um, he was sponsored by Zenith. And um, he wore a, a Stratos, I believe. Right. And the whole mission was called the Stratos something something. Makes ah. sense, Stratosphere, I guess. Yep, yep. He he had to, it was the other way around, he had to jump from space to get the watch. It wasn't a perk. He had to, you know, throw himself off of the edge of the atmosphere, plunge towards Earth right. in, order, in order to get his watch. And now they're just giving away the experience for, for free with it. Hello, I'm, I'm doing a sponsored hot air balloon dive from space. Red Bull have promised me a case of um, Red Bulls if I do it. Um, <laughs> and Zenith have promised me a watch. 
All right, I'll give you 50p a meter if you survive. <laughs> so, I mean, these are, these are good watches. Yeah, brilliant. Would you buy one? What, what caught your attention? Because you've not mentioned these Defy watches before, and now all of a sudden you're well into them. Listen, my criteria for liking a watch is it, it, it doesn't need to be much more than that looks cool. It's got blue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you know, <laughs> I'm a simple man. Um, but whether you're talking about, you know, is it something I would wear? I don't know if I'd have the confidence to wear something like that. It's crazy. Um, but Do you mean on the basis that you could catch it on a door frame and smash your £190,000 watch into a million pieces? Uh, even if I was immune to those kind of mishaps, which I'm certainly not, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think I'm charismatic to carry off a watch like that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I there's a certain type of person for whom wearing things that are outlandish and trendy and interesting and characterful really, it, it, it's like elevating them to a new level of persona. Mm. Yeah. For me, I I look like I'm and feel like uh, a kid wearing their parents' shoes, you know, standing there with the shirt sleeves hanging too long and the, the the feet just disappearing into this pair of shoes. Yeah, it just it just feels like I'm pretending to be something I'm not. I think of most watches like Hawaiian shirts. I think, wow, they look really really cool. And one day, I'd like to think I'd be cool enough to wear one myself. But until then, I'll just appreciate all the other people that wear them. Yeah, just just slowly blending into the background. <laughs> And a, a sparkly, big, crystalline zenith with a whopping great big gyro tourbillon in it is definitely not a way to blend in. No. But one day. One day. Yeah, well done, Zenith. A lovely, fine pair of watches um, for for 20 lucky people. And um, the uh, included Zero Gravity experience takes place in February, so um, hopefully Zenith will get some press there and we'll get to see all those... Lucky owners go up in the vomit comet. <laughs> that, that's pretty optimistic, isn't it? They're saying we've got to get them all sold by February. Oh, they'll do it. Look at them. They're pretty shiny, and I do like shiny. Yeah, everyone likes a shiny new watch. Fair play. Um, I think they've recovered the Defy line, and I'm, I'm hoping these pieces give them a bit more much-needed visibility. Mm. Hopefully we'll get our hands on one one day, if only temporarily, to review ourselves. Because it looks like there's just so much to look at, and um, the the images Zenith have provided don't really do it justice. I, I want to want to see more. Zenith, if you're listening, sell sell just some of them. Keep one back, <laughs> so we can do a video. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll come to you. <laughs> um, you do have a question for me uh, this week. Yes, Tom. Why don't you read it out for me? Okay, so Pryan39 asks, Didn't Arnold and Son come up with the Torbium but die before he could complete it? His friend Breguet completed it instead and gave Arnold and Son the credit because it wasn't Breguet's idea to begin with. So that's, that's a really good uh, question, Pryan. Um, of course, the invention of the Torbion is attributed to Breguet because Breguet invented the Torbion. But as we all know, ideas don't come from, from nothing. And... Uh, Arnold and Breguet were both really good friends, both uh, excellent watchmakers um, from different nations who they were such good friends that they actually traded sons as apprentices. And um, 
both were working on the the idea of correcting positional error where a watch where a watch's balance is positioned so it's affected by gravity that causes these errors and they were both looking to do something with that to nullify those effects um it, it seems that arnold was perhaps working on something like that to what degree isn't necessarily known but what is known is that Breguet, um, after Arnold died, before he could pursue his own version of the tourbillon, or whatever it may have been, um, Breguet gifted Arnold's son with a pocket watch by Arnold, with a tourbillon by Breguet in it, um, almost by way of acknowledging the, the mutual respect that they had and the contribution together to watchmaking, and perhaps specifically the tourbillon itself. So uh, it's very difficult to place the credit solely on Arnold um, because Breguet did say, look at these drawings, it's the tourbillon, I made it and it works. But Arnold was definitely a massive influence, if not uh, a key contributor to the development of that device. Ah, right. Sounds like a Flaming Mo situation. Um, I hope that answered <laughs> your question, Priyan. Um Yeah, guys, any more questions, um, let us know in the comments below. And... Um, yeah, we'll get Andrew to answer them for you next time. Indeedy. Uh, but until then, we want you to like the video. We want you to comment. And most importantly, we want you to subscribe because uh, subscribing is our life force and without it, we perish. Oh, here he goes again. <laughs> please, please subscribe. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 